There's not a one of us here that hasn't been in a place where, for lack of a better term, we've blown it. And what happens is pride pushes us to deny it, to not deal with it. And sometimes we get, maybe we get ashamed, but there's no shame in coming up to anyone and saying, you know what, I was wrong. Because the truth is, all of us have been there. Maybe even now. And the, the thing that I got out of this that was so great, as far as I'm concerned, he said, is eat him up. And I'm like, you know what, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is working on you. So if God is working on you, and you might say, I don't know what I should do about this. Well, you just had it demonstrated. Because now peace can be the result. And that's what God wants is, is peace. Jesus came to give us peace. I, I want to challenge you to look through the scriptures and see how many times the word peace is mentioned. And so I want to preach about peace today. Kingdom peace. And I'll start the message off by saying this. Many of us claim to be Christ followers who have been given the gift of God's Holy Spirit of which the Apostle Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is, one of them is peace. And yet, with our life, it seems like peace is fleeting. Maybe you have said something like this. If these people don't stop stressing me out. Or maybe you've said something like this. These kids are going to drive me crazy. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> or these students. Or how about this. These parents are driving me nuts. Got a lot of heads shaking over here. You know, if these people that I work with would just get it together, I wouldn't have all these problems. If my coworkers, if my family members, if my spouse, if my boss, if they would just straighten it up, if everything would just get in line with them, then I could have some peace in my life. Ever been there? What we're expecting is that for me to live in peace, everything else has got to be perfect. When the Bible is going to teach us something quite different. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's giving them some instruction as to some things that are about to happen. Sometimes the Christianized or the Americanized version of Christianity sounds like this. Follow Jesus, he'll solve all your problems, he'll make all the bad things go away, and you'll just live with prosperity and good things happening to you. The only problem with that Americanized version is it's not biblical at all. <clears throat> In fact, serving Jesus brings its own set of problems. So if you're just trying to escape problems, following Jesus will solve many of your problems, but it will bring others. And in those others, 
You can learn how to overcome them. See, the point of the matter is Jesus did not die for us just to have a good life here on earth. Jesus died in order that we might work for him because he's looking for eternity. He's looking for a family. And his family members have the gifts that he gives them, and one of them is peace. So the New Testament never describes our life as being one free from conflict, but rather one where we can deal with the conflict in a good way. Anybody remember the story of Jesus being on the ship, and the ship was in the middle of a storm? It was the middle of a storm, the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, and Jesus is asleep. See, that's a picture of the peace of God. Because most of us in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea, we'd be scared to death. We'd be saying, it's all coming down. You know what? If everything else would just calm down, then I could have peace. And you look at Jesus and he's asleep. Why is Jesus asleep? Because if Jesus is on the boat, the boat's not going down. If Jesus is on your boat, nothing can happen to you. That's going to ultimately destroy you. Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill the soul. So every problem that we have pales in comparison to what Jesus actually dealt with and how he overcame it. So Jesus says in John 14, he said, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He goes on to describe this Helper as somebody who has been with the disciples, but is going to be in the disciples. And on the day of Pentecost, that actually happened. And do you realize that when you actually confess Christ and decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes within your personhood. The Bible calls our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God's Spirit. We don't have a building that's a temple anymore. We are the temple. We possess the helper. The word helper is the word paraclete. It means the one to come alongside someone. The picture is like this. The little child is three years old and running across the, the yard and he falls and he skins his knee. And he begins to cry until somebody like mom comes and comforts the child. And this is the picture of the person Jesus said he would give to you and me. And yet so many people live as if they're alone. As if God's just somewhere out there. And I'm here to deal with all this trouble. And if I could just make everybody else behave, I would have peace. Jesus goes on to say, peace I leave with you. Wow. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Well, what kind of peace is it, Lord? He said, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? And then he says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Does anybody remember what he said in John 14, 1? He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That's at least two times that Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I want to try to give you the background of what's going on, because here in John 14, you have... In the life of Jesus and his disciples, things are changing quite rapidly. 
When the disciples left their homes and their jobs to follow Jesus, they left everything behind. They decided this was better. They saw Jesus. They believed him to be the Messiah. They left everything they knew, and they began to follow him. And honestly, they had some misplaced motives when they did. They thought, well, Jesus is going to get rid of the Romans, and we're going to be somebody's. And then after three years or so, guess what? Jesus starts talking about, I'm going away. You're going away, but wait a minute, Lord, that's not what we got into this for. Maybe you have said those same words. God, I started following you, and I expected this, but God, this is what happened. Everyone here has experienced that. God, I thought you were going to do this, but you didn't do that. I can't tell you how many times I thought, God, this is exactly what you're going to do, and he didn't do it. And I'm like, God, what is happening here? You see, in this context, Jesus is getting ready to go. He's going The cross is looming over his life. The cross is in front of him. In fact, in John 14, they've had the Lord's Supper. Jesus has been talking about things. He's saying, I'm going away. He's saying things where I'm going, you can't come. And he's he's saying things to them that they absolutely don't understand. And they're starting to get troubled. Because not only is Christ going and the cross looming, but conflict is multiplying. Everywhere he's going now, he's getting in trouble. Everywhere he goes, somebody is there to cause him trouble. You see, if Jesus was like us, he'd be like, hey, y'all stop the trouble so I can have peace. Jesus had peace in the middle of the trouble. He had trouble with people who hated him, people who were going to crucify him. Companies of soldiers are getting ready to come because from John 14, 15, and 16, you find him after his teaching, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And what happens there? Soldiers show up. Jesus gets arrested for preaching, for doing good. Now think about having your trouble. How much trouble do we have compared to that? Could we safely say that some of our trouble is stuff that we've done to ourselves? We've made our own trouble in some things, right? Sometimes our trouble is not what we've done. It's just a fact of life. But Jesus never did anything wrong. And Jesus was always right, and Jesus was fulfilling the Father's will, and he's getting ready to be crucified, and the companies of soldiers are coming, and enemies are gathering. And in the middle of this context, he's offering comfort to his disciples. Jesus is the one about to be carried off. Jesus is the one about to be crucified. Jesus is the one who's about to deal with the shame of the cross, and yet he's looking at his people, and he's giving them comfort. Now, what he did not do, is say, I'm going to take away your trouble. He didn't say anything like that. In fact, in another place, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And ladies and gentlemen sitting in this room, you might think, I cannot do this. I want you to know that in the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to you, you can do this. And you do not have to live in this state of chaos and confusion and anxiety and stress. Man, I'm just so stressed out. Why are you stressed out? It's these people around me. That's why I'm stressed out. Jesus would say, no, that's not it at all. But Jesus, if you just stop all this mess, I could feel better. Jesus is like, it wouldn't matter. Because mess is a part of life. 
He says, I'm going to give you peace, but not like the world gives. So I have three things, three divisions, and I want to ask the question, who is Jesus talking to? When he's talking to peace I give to you, who is he talking to? He's talking to his followers. He's talking to people who left everything to go and follow him. He's talking to his disciples. Disciples are people who applied the discipline of learning to follow Jesus. Can I say to you today that if you're going to follow Jesus, that discipline will need to be a part of your life? Sometimes you're going to do what you don't feel like doing, what you don't want to do. Sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm just not right. I need to be made right by, by the master. And as we follow Jesus, he disciplines us, he changes us. Amen? This is who Jesus is talking to. They were just like us. They fussed, they fought, they clamored for power, for position. They expected some things that didn't happen. And then the things that did happen, that caught them by surprise. And there's another term that describes these people that followed Jesus. And I'm going to teach you a new term today. And it's a Greek word, doulos. The Greek word doulos is the New Testament word for slave. And these people were slaves of Jesus. Now, we say that is offensive. Well, it was offensive in the first century too. But these were people who later on wrote the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What word did he use? Doulos. John wrote the revelation. He said the revelation of Jesus Christ that God sent to his doulos, his slaves. I'm afraid that the American version of Christianity has dumbed down what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. So that's who he's talking to. He's talking to his followers, his disciples. He's talking to people who loved him but had trouble. He's talking to his slaves. Number two, what's he saying? He's saying simply this. First, trouble happens. Trouble happens. It's going to happen. You coming to church today was the best decision you could have made today. There's nothing better going on anywhere in Metropolis except maybe in another church. I'm not going to say what's happening there is not good. But nothing else in Metropolis is going to compete with gathering together with people in the name of Jesus. This is the best thing happening today, but it's not going to stop trouble from happening. You know how I know? There's a lot of cars on the street this weekend. And some of you crossed the bridge trying to get here today, or you're going to cross the bridge trying to get back home, and trouble's going to happen. Some of you are going to have problems with, with situations and issues and people, and it's going to happen pretty quickly as soon as we're done today. Trouble happens. The second thing that he said was this. Solutions are offered. There are solutions offered to your trouble. Do you know that even the world has solutions? The world can tell you how to deal with trouble. That's why we have so much extra trouble today. Now, when the Bible talks about the solutions that's offered by the world, Jesus said, I don't give you peace like the world gives. He's talking to you about the solutions that the world offers, and I think it looks like this. When we think of peace as the way the world thinks of it, we think in terms of, you know what? I just want world peace, which means I want people to stop shooting guns at each other. 
And it, it means, you know, when everybody else can stop, can lay down their arms and we'll just have harmony and peace. Remember the age of Aquarius? Some of you remember that. Some of you is like, I have no idea what that means. I don't quite remember the 60s. I was a little young. But that was the thing. Peace, brother, peace, peace, world peace. And it's said over and over and over, we just want peace. I just want to get some peace. And the world says, you can have it. All you got to do is just, I think uh, Paul McCartney said, all you need is love. Great theologian, right? But what kind of love is he talking about? See, it doesn't work. The world would say things like this. You take this pill, you can have peace. You can get away from your problems. You take this substance, you can have peace. You can get away from your problems. You do these actions. You can live this lifestyle. You can have peace. Just stop it. Just join in with whatever the latest movement is. All of the political stuff that's going on right now is designed to say, hey, if you do this, you'll have peace. And the more they do it, the more we don't have peace. Do you ever notice that? Did you ever notice that when you try to live in an alternative lifestyle, you try to live in a lifestyle of uh, immorality or addiction and using substances, it comes saying it's going to bring you peace, but it never does. You see, the world's way of peace is that peace is coming from the outside in. There's something that has to be done. You people need to stop stressing me out. I'm a pastor. I can say that. My church stresses me out. I can't say that, can I? First of all, you guys really don't. If you're visiting here, I want to recommend Eastland Life Church. I've been here this coming April, 17 years, Robin and I have been here, and there's never been a group of people treated us better anywhere. These people are the real deal, and I recommend this church, and this church doesn't stress me out. The truth of the matter is, if you did, it would still be on me. You see, when you say, you're stressing me out, you are blaming the wrong person. Because you're expecting everything else to line up so that you can have some peace. I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to ask four of our Life Academy students to come and help me illustrate this point. Come on, gals. Let's give them some encouragement this morning, all right? You're going to get a little glimpse into what it looks like in our Life Academy. I think there's 39 students now. Amen. God has blessed this ministry greatly. And this, everything that I'm teaching today started with uh, a time last Monday with the 7th and 8th grade as I was talking about doing a pastor chat with them because I wanted to speak with them a little bit about distractions <laughs> Piper I want you to stop sit down You can stop. And you can stop. What are y'all doing anyway? 
You hear this laugh? Chucky, I'm sending that laugh home with you, man. Would you all stop it? Okay. As I was saying, I was trying to talk to myself in eighth grade. You know what? Y'all are stressing me out. You know what? If I could just get them to calm down and stop making noise, I could be at peace, right? But you know what's going to happen? That's never going to happen. Okay, stop. What's the point? The point is, I'm saying if you would calm down and you would stop and you would stop and you would stop, I'd be okay. You know how crazy that is? You go into a classroom of students and you know what you're going to get? Show them. Do you know what the Bible says? The peace that God gives is not like you stop, you stop, you stop, and you stop. The peace of God is I got to look at my heart and say, stop being stressed out. Gals, you did a great job. Help me illustrate. I hope you guys got that on, on video. I'm sending that box home with you, Joey. Huh? A guitar too? Good. Jesus said the peace that I give is different. Next point. It's different. It's not as the world gives. It's not me walking around going, you stop, you stop, you stop. Settle down, settle down. You're stressing me. You're stressing me. You're getting on my nerves. You're getting on my nerves. Anybody ever said that? Anybody say that on the way to church today? <laughs> Some of you fought on the way here. And you're like, I just wish I had some peace. I just wish I had some peace. The truth is, God's peace is different, but here's the deal. You must control your heart. Say it with me. You must control your heart. What did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled. So when I'm looking at these guys doing what they were doing, it represents my life when things are kind of out of control, kind of silly, right? Everything's out of control, and I'm like, stop. Stop it. Settle down. Everybody... Everybody stop because I can't ha handle it. Jesus says, you control your heart. I control my heart. Solomon said, guard your heart because from your heart is the wellspring of life. Too many of us are victims and we have learned the victim mentality. Everybody else is messing me up. No, you're doing a good enough job of that on your own. Stressing out has nothing to do with everybody else. It has everything to do with what's inside here. And Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You know what that means? You talk to your heart. You see, there's a difference in your brain and your mind. The brain is an organ that your mind uses. Your personality will determine what you do with your brain. I want to give you what I gave the 7th and 8th grade. I walked into the 7th and 8th grade room this, this Monday and had about 15 minutes with them. And I sat down and I said, okay, it's pastor chat time. What do you all want to talk about? And within about 15 seconds, that showed up. They didn't quite be as animated as they were. I think they're going to life, kids, and that's fine. But the chaos started happening. Have you ever been in a room with a bunch of children, with a bunch of kids? 
Do you realize that our kids right now have attention problems, adrenaline problems? And there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. One is sugar, two is caffeine, three is phones, four is SpongeBob. <laughs> Something seriously wrong with people who spend all day in front of that. I mean, all that show is, I, I just hear it in the background, it's like this, yeah! <laughs> like, stress me out, right? I mean, it's a, it's a shot of adrenaline. Our kids are adrenaline junkies. They can't sit still for anything. You know why? And it's not really their fault at this point. They're children. We're trying to teach them how to stop, focus, spend some time thinking. That's a great idea, right? And we got to teach them now because they're going to have this lifestyle, this habitual thing in their, in their life later if they don't learn it now. Henry Cloud wrote in his book, Boundaries for Leaders, three executive functions of the brain. I want to talk about your brain, not your mind. Your mind is you. The brain is the organ that you use. Here's what the brain does. First thing that it does, the first executive function is this. It's attention. When your brain is operating, you have to control what you attend to. Like how many times do I say something like this? Hey, up here, up here. What am I saying? Put your attention where it belongs. When you're driving, it's really good to have your attention on the road, right? The, other, the second executive function is inhibition, what you keep out. You can't drive like this because you're allowing things into your, to your brain that's going to take your attention off of what it should be on. In fact, young people will do this now. They walk like this. You might as well say, amen, it's happening. Can I tell y'all, this is not in the message, but I'll tell you anyway. Do you realize that this can be a great tool for good, but can also be the tool of the enemy to steal your kids from you? Do you realize right now, right now, in America, right now, that teenage girls, young Teenage girls as young as 10 years old are being influenced by influencers over, over this. And you parents may not even know it. They're teaching your children, you know what, you might not be a girl. And now in the education system, it's already in New York and California and coming to Illinois. They can take your children out of school, give them hormones, stop puberty from happening without your knowledge and without your okay. Guys... Pay attention, parents. Know what your children are watching. This is not a great babysitter. They're going to walk around like this. Inhibition means you've got to keep stuff out. I don't want my 8-year-old granddaughter to hear that kind of nonsense. That's why we come to Life Academy. We actually teach biology. Amen? God knows what he's doing, right? So you have attention, what you focus on. Inhibition, what you put out. You see, if those students were going to act like that in class, I don't want that distraction. I'm going to put that, that distraction out. When I'm driving, I'm going to put that distraction out, other distractions out. I'm going to focus on what I'm doing. When it comes to your life, get up in the morning, what do you do? You put your attention on what? Put your attention on God. What should you put out? Put out some of these things. I might even suggest this. Maybe put some of this out 
if you replace this with some Bible time in the morning, you might find some peace coming that you never thought was there. Has anybody gotten a lot of peace out of this? Probably not. Attention, inhibition, and then working memory. Working memory is I remember where I was. I remember what I'm doing. Working memory says, you know what? I remember focusing on this before, and it didn't work. I remember focusing on this, and it did work. All of us have it. Amen? So then what we're doing today is God's peace is different, and Jesus is telling us, focus, put attention. Put your brain, your brain, your heart, it's all part of the same thing to the Greek world. The Greek word for heart meant the thinking and the soul, the will, the affections. It's all wrapped up into one, and we are to put our attention on God. And see, it's normal for any human to feel trouble at times. Even Jesus did. Let's put the scripture on the board. Jesus in John 12 said, now my soul has become troubled. Same thing he told us not to do. But Jesus in his humanity felt it. Why did he feel it? He's, he's about to go to the cross. If you knew you were about to be executed, would you be troubled? I think all of us would be there for a moment. But how would we deal with that? How do you deal with the trouble? The same way Jesus did. Look what he says. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What did he do? He said, my soul is being troubled, but I'm not going to let my soul be troubled because I'm going to focus back on God and why I'm here. That right there is good enough to get us through the next year. Amen? When trouble comes, we command our heart. I am not going to focus on the trouble. You see, Jesus, uh, if, if we were in his place, we'd be like, oh, man, I'm only 33, and everybody's against me. My disciples don't understand me, and people are going to arrest me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to mock me, and they're going to put me on a cross, and everything is going down. Everything is going bad. My soul is troubled, but what will I say? Father, save me? No. You have put me here. And Christian people understand something. God has put you where you are. And you can be at peace knowing that his plan is not ended. You might say, but I made some bad choices. If you read the Bible, you find out that God overcomes our bad choices. That even out of the bad, God can bring good. That's why the Bible says all things work together for the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Praise God. And Jesus goes and says, Father, glorify your name. Can you imagine that? Next time you're in trouble, say, Father, glorify your name. Well, Jesus heard a voice from heaven and said, I've done it and I'm going to do it again. So my question to you is this. And you might ask this as well. How do I get this power? Jesus says, I gave it to you. Jesus says, I just give it to you. So how do I get it in the first place? Go back to John 14, 1. It says this, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now the word believe to the Greek mind is different than the word here in English. Do you guys believe that cold weather is coming does anybody believe it's going to get colder we all believe that because it's October 
November's coming, December's coming. Yeah, I believe that, but that belief doesn't change my world. When Jesus says believe in God, he's not saying, oh, yeah, there's a God. He's not saying, oh, yeah, there's a God, and oh, yeah, there's a Jesus, and in an Americanized version of Christianity, oh, yeah, everybody's a Christian. Everybody I run into, yeah, they're Christians. Why? Because Grandma went to church. Because I believe in there's a man named Jesus. Yeah, everybody says they're Christians, but not everybody is Christians. Well, my parents were. Or I went to Bible school. I set up one time I said a prayer. That makes you a person that uh, said a prayer. It doesn't make you a Christian. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word believe is believe and trust. Complete reliance upon Jesus. It's a pretty strong word. How do I get this? I've got these out of order, but I'm going to put them up there. Put the first two up there. For some reason, when I wrote this, I wrote it out of order. The first one is believe. The first one is believe. You've got to believe. And the second one is you receive. How do I get this power? I believe on Jesus, and when I believe on Jesus, I receive this. Jesus said, I'm coming to give you the helper. And everyone who believes on Jesus now receives the helper. And when you, when you believe and you receive, then you become. You become something different. The Bible talks about believing in Jesus as being such a radical thing that it's like being born again. Has that ever happened to you? Is there a supernatural power working inside of you? Only you know it. Nobody else can say, I can't look inside Chris Albright and say, you know what, I see the Holy Spirit in there. I can't do that. I might see some fruit of the Holy Spirit in his life, but I want you to know the fruit of the Holy Spirit might be the things that I see when it looks like something else should be happening. Like when he should be doing one thing, there's love coming. When there uh, should be some difficulty, he's got joy and he's got peace. Those are fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. Listen, Christians, God has given us the Holy Spirit that brings love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Following Jesus is not, oh, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God, and I wish he would make everything go away so I wouldn't be so stressed out. You know what? You're trying to do this the world's way. What do you become when you follow Jesus? We're back to that word doulos. We're back to the word doulos. The word means slave. Let me tell you the definition of a slave. A slave is a person who has total obedience to the master. There's no right of refusal. Somebody saying, no, Lord, I don't think I'm going to do that. That wouldn't happen in a master-slave relationship. Total obedience, but not only total obedience, but total dependence. For the slave, he only received what the master gave him. So to follow Jesus, we become slaves of Jesus, which means we obey him. And as we obey him, he provides for us. And I wish I'd have said this last night, but I didn't say it. The question would be, why would anybody become a slave of Jesus? And the answer is this. It's far better than who you're slave to right now. You think about that. If you want the peace of God in your life, believe in God. Believe also in me. And God will command his peace. And you command your heart.
Ladies and gentlemen, you've got the word now. And you don't have to live in this chaos of the world anymore. Jesus gives what he has. He does not have confusion. He does not have chaos. He does not have anxiety. He has perfect peace that he gives to us. This is life in the kingdom of God.